I live in Vandalia, Ohio now, but uh, I was raised most of my life in Cleveland, Ohio. I had a good upbringing. Parents had taught all the right things, but uh, I guess it didn't take too well with me. <laughs> and uh, I got very rebellious and uh, joined the military to uh, get away from my family, and so nobody could tell me what to do, so that's kind of a oxymoron. And uh, went from there and began to sample drugs in the United States Air Force. Best place to get drugs is in prison or military. So, mm. And uh, went from there and just had a very angry spirit. And uh, met a young woman and uh, wound up getting married to her. And that's a long story in itself. And uh, that was, that had to be God because she's been my best friend from that time on. And she went through shall we say, hell with me. And um, we uh, moved back to Canton, Ohio, with Bob Evans as their first management training class uh, that they had. And I uh, was doing rather well, and things took a turn. And uh, my son had uh, uh, cystic fibrosis, and I had prayed and asked God to do something, give me the disease, or argued with him, said, what kind of a God are you? And finally, told him, uh, if he wouldn't give me the disease, and if he'd heal him, I would, uh, I would, I would go to work for him. Not realizing what I said, and of course, I didn't believe what I said either at that point. And the next day, a boy who was very fragile, bird-like, small, 18 months old approximately, uh, he had gained about, I can't remember, almost a pound in the middle of the night, and the test came back, finally, after three positives, he got a negative, and he didn't have it. And I went on my way, and at probably about that time, God began to uproot my nest. And I didn't have a job, and I went back to an employment agency of a man I knew. And uh, we began to talk, and he had an interview for me. <clears throat> and I saw on his desk, I saw what I call the telltale tail. It was the Bible marker, the ribbon in a Bible. I just laughed. I said, are you kidding me, Jim? Oh, yeah. I said, I'm born again. I just laughed at him. I said, Jim, I said, I know what you are. You're a womanizing, dope-smoking uh, money grubber. I said, uh, why, well, you counted the money in my pocket by the jingle and the whistle of the bills. I said, don't give me that stuff. He said, no. He says, we pray for people. People get healed. They... Speak in tongues. I said, speak in tongues? He goes, yes, like that holy rollers? He goes, yeah, come tonight to our Bible study. I said, not me. And I left. And I drove, and I was in Dayton at the time I got to Xenia, and I said, you know, I'm curious. I'm going to go back and check that out. It was Centerville, Ohio. And I drove and went south, went to the man's house, and they were well-to-do and that interest. Most of the guys are doing pretty well financially. That's a good reason to come to God, you know. That and air conditioning. <laughs> And uh, so I was sitting in the kitchen area. There was one man within about, oh, the distance you are now, about three or four feet. And there was no one behind me, to my right, uh, or in front of me, within 20 feet. Big, big house. This one man was sitting to my left. and They prayed for people, and I knew enough scripture to be a pain and try to disrupt it. And uh, they just ignored me and went about their business. And that one little man would look at me. And uh, you could see Jesus in his eyes, and I didn't like it. I didn't like him. Every time he looked at me, I'd just sneer at him and snarl, and he'd turn away. And that went on for an hour, and 
An hour and a half the meeting's breaking up. We all stand up. I'm going to do a dismissal prayer. And that, that old man said, uh, would you like us to pray for you? And I said, that's it. And I went to punch him. And as I drew back, something, a hand grabbed me by my bicep as I came forward and jerked me. And I looked around. There was no one there. And I went to punch him again and got grabbed again. And uh, I looked at the man and started to cry. So maybe you better pray for me. And uh, I repented, and God filled me with the Holy Ghost that night. And uh, she wasn't an apostolic church either, so I guess that's a strike against me. But, so from that point on, I began to seek God. And uh, I'd read the Bible, sometimes 12 hours at a time. Couldn't get enough of it. My first Bible was like a kid colored in just crayon marks and whole pages. And... Uh, Reading the Bible uh, one night. Well, before that, I went back to the Bible study. I was traveling from Akron to Centerville, Ohio. Every Tuesday night, I'd leave work at McDonald's. I wanted to go to McDonald's. I'd leave there at 3.30 and drive to the Bible study. to be there by 7.30. And uh, I'd leave there at 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe 3, to be back at work to open the store. Hmm. And I did that for six months until I, I wanted to fall asleep at the wheel. But in that time, there was an apostolic man that came from a church called the Lighthouse. Now, the word apostolic wasn't used. I never heard of uh, I didn't understand denominations anyhow. And he brought the, the one God revelation to the leader, the, uh, the homeowner, whatever. And he saw the revelation immediately. And uh, the man said, you know, maybe just better take it easy. Don't go out there and say it. And he came out and he just laid out the oneness revelation for everybody and it got into a real contest. Uh, people arguing and breaking eggs and there's a shell and a yolk and a white and <clears throat> yet one egg and <laughs> one fellow took a full glass of water and divided up into two other glasses and he has three equal parts but yet the same water and I'm going, these, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> I was going, I was totally baffled and they said, the guy's from the lighthouse we're going, whatever that is, I didn't know what it was, never did. And uh, I still kept going back, and um, I can remember where I was sitting in the, in the room, and a man was talking to another fellow about the revelation of one God, and I'm just listening, and I made no sense. And uh, he quoted Matthew 28:19, and the light went on. I went, the name. That's that's who he, that's who he is. And I knew Jesus was God in the flesh. The man beside me says, I see it. I went, I looked at him. He doesn't see it. He's just saying so he won't be left out. And he never did because he never came in. And um, so in going back and forth, and they contested this and that man from the lighthouse, they, they constantly went after him. They never used the word apostolic, never heard it. And uh, finally, the, the one night, I finally said, look, if you can tell me to the Bible teacher who Jesus was talking about in John 3.13, that uh, he was in heaven and standing on earth, and if that's not God, who is it? The man couldn't explain it, and they pretty much chewed the fellow up, and he kicked the dust off his feet and never came back. Hmm. Well, I'm reading the Bible. I've just been spending a number of hours, and I got to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and the Lord spoke to me, and that still small voice said, Do that. I just kind of, Do that? Okay. Read, and I got to Paul. On the road to Damascus, I said, I got to start over. And I went back to 
chapter 1 of Acts, verse 1, I read through, got to verse 38, and a little louder voice said, do that. It was inside my head. I'm going, okay. Never had any idea. And uh, as to why, I just thought I'd obey God. Read on, got to Paul getting, you know, the lights blinding him, and turned around and started over again in the book of Acts, and got there in the third time. On chapter 2, verse 3, he said it louder, do that. So, okay, okay. Had no idea why. And uh, we then moved to, from Canton to Sydney, Ohio. I took another job. I want to be closer to that Bible study and whatever. Didn't know anything about going to a church. Got there, started looking for a church. Uh, and my qualifications were, the one, they spoke in tongues. And two, they had good air conditioning. You've got to go with the priorities, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, so I did, and uh, one night, it was Halloween night, a Thursday night, and I said, well, somebody's got to be in church on a night like this, and I went through the phone book. The only church that uh, was open was Sydney Apostolic Temple, which meant nothing to me other than my pastor at the Assembly of God had driven by one time and said, watch out for those guys. They believe Jesus only. I said, what's that? Because they only believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the Father and the Holy Ghost. I said, wow, that's weird. Well, the reason he told me that is he knew that uh, what I believed, because we talked about it, but he never, never came against it because he didn't want to lose a new convert. I was the only young man in the church. In three weeks, I was Sunday school superintendent and on the board of trustees. Give a man a job, he'll stay with you. <laughs> so, I went to the church that night. And I didn't like it. Those people, they're wild. They danced and they jumped and they shouted. And the preacher was awful noisy. Didn't like it. And at the end of the service, I'm leaving the pastor. Of course, when the pastor sees fresh blood, you got to get to them and shake their hand, you know. <laughs> Shook my hand away to come back again. I said, you know, I doubt it. Why is that so? you got to be preaching the gospel before I'll come here. And he goes, well, yeah, what's that? And I took him to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and pointed out, this is the gospel. And I'm not even baptized, because nobody will baptize me that way. My pastor baptized me in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost after he said he did it in Jesus' name. Didn't do it, the Assembly of God. Every place I went turned me down. I didn't know there was a problem. I didn't know what apostolic was. And he said, we're apostolic. And I said, I don't care what you are. I said, if you don't baptize in Jesus' name... You don't believe the gospel. Now, here I am telling this guy that he don't believe the gospel when I haven't been able to perform the gospel yet because nobody will baptize me. <laughs> and I took him to Romans 1 and put him in hell over not knowing who Jesus was. And uh, but he said, we're apostolic. I said, I don't care what you call yourself. It's all about 35, 40 minutes. He finally pointed up above me. It was a cathedral ceiling. Up there on the, the high wall was a plaque that said Acts 2.38. And I went, you believe that? He goes, I told you we're apostolic. I said, what's that? The sad thing about it is, how could you not mention the gospel when you've got someone out there that doesn't know it? Mm -hmm. you know? Oh yes, let's not preach the gospel might offend somebody. And so I found that out and I didn't go back. I didn't like, I didn't like that worship. It just made me uncomfortable. I guess because you're too close to God at that point. And finally, we were going to go Memorial Day to visit my parents. I told my wife, we're not going. And I said, 
Unless we are baptized in Jesus' name, I'm not going. Something happens to us, we're done. <laughs> and I, I, I'm going to Assembly of God Church. And uh, Pastor and I have been at odds. And he wanted me to, uh, I came to the house, the Parsons' house, so to speak, Parsonage. The assistant pastors, they wanted to talk to me, and hiding in the other room was the pastor, and they came out. I'm going to settle this, this, this one God thing right now, this Godhead thing. I said, okay. They handed me a King James Bible. I'd never used one. And I, you'll use this, though, because I want to go out to my car and get my Amplified Bible. You know, new converts are, they, they know where verses are by the geography on the page. They said, nope, use this one. I said, I just flipped the Bible. I, took, I flipped on the table, so I'm not doing it. I said, we'll just go with what's in my heart. And it took about three, four hours. And uh, finally, the one man, they're both Bible college graduates. I went upstairs to get my notes and said, sit down. I can't get a Bible. You don't need your notes from college. But that proves the point. You don't know what you believe, and you can't defend what you believe. And then it kind of dawned on that through that period of time, I've been quoting the King James and hadn't used it. So I left. The, the assistant got the Holy Ghost. His wife started to get scared and cry. Well, that's more part of the story, but that's down the road. And uh, I went to a, a, a man who was in the church. He was very rich. And he wanted me to open up a, a restaurant franchise as I was to be a, a partner, a full partner. And uh, I told him that God had moved on me. And, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me stop a minute there. He got baptized and never went back to the church. And then... <laughs> One night, uh, I had been studying the Bible. I started at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and put it down about 1 or 2 in the morning. God gave me a bunch of scripture to write down, things that come out from amongst them, and all kinds of stuff in that area. And uh, I didn't say anything, and the pastor's wife came into work, got a sandwich, said, when are you coming to the church? I said, probably never. She said, but you know the truth. You should go to the truth is that. I said, Okay. What's it going to take? I said, I said, a miracle. That's what it's going to take. <laughs> and she said, well, come tonight and get one. And uh, that night I went, there was, a, there was a fellow there that had hair and everything. His name was Mike Phillips. Brother Mike Phillips. And uh, he got up there and he was rubbing his hands together and said, man, he said, I had a message God gave me, but God's, I don't want to preach this message God changed me to. I don't want to preach this one. But I have to. So he preached it. And in an hour's time, he covered every verse and explained everything. It took me 12 hours to dig out. Mm. Every one of them. And the pastor's wife came back, well, did you get your miracle? I said, yeah, I'll be here Sunday. <laughs> and uh, Sunday morning, I said, no, that was Easter Sunday. I'm in the church choir. They only have the one service, but I'll be there Sunday night. And that's, that's when the change began. And all of the lessons began, you might say. But we went from there and wound up in another church. But um, I guess having the love of the truth is a key. Not having, having the truth will not save you. Because having the truth can be intellectual. Some people don't have a revelation of God. They've gained it by osmosis and good teaching. And they have not had that, oh my God, moment. And 
know, you say, well, I don't have one. I was still told, good for you. But the point is, you'll find out in the long run, it'll be there because you can't deny it. And um, I didn't have the, shall we say, the best of teaching. I had good Godhead teaching, but uh, I'll just leave it there. But I went on my way. And then God started dealing with me about starting a church. And I, I'm giving you the shortened version, so to speak. And I went on a, a long fast, 21 days. God had been talking to me for two years to try it. And uh, it turned out to be, and God's will is probably the easiest fast I ever did. I had all kinds of energy. I'd run up the stairs. I mean, I was, I was gung-ho. So... And that fast, God told me on January the 15th of the coming year, I would know what I would be doing. I'm working for a computer company this time called Reynolds & Reynolds. I had a pretty good job. And uh, I'd walked away from the, the Assembly of God just to pick up a note. Good luck on trying to edit this, man. But uh, when I left the Assembly of God, <clears throat> I went to the man that was my friend that was as well-to-do. He said, if you do that, the deal's off. We're not going to do the restaurant. So I said, I guess the deal's off. I walked away from a whole lot of money. And uh, back forwarding, you know, going forward now back to the fast. It told me January the 15th. It was confirmed by another preacher that I know January the 15th. I won't go to the explanation because apostolic people are too narrow-minded to understand it anyhow. But, well, it's the facts. <laughs> they don't think anything can uh, hear from God unless they... Got the one God revelation, but uh, and that was near to my apostolic church. The fact that I knew who He was, I had the Holy Ghost, and they didn't get to see me receive it, and I got it from outside their sources. I did not get this from an apostolic preacher, and uh, that was part of my salvation. And uh, so I didn't have the train. I told God, why, why couldn't I have gotten it under a good, strong preacher? And I, I went about that for years. I finally got an answer. And what he told me was pretty much this. Uh, Son, if, I'd have, if you'd have learned it from a man, the day would have come after what you've been through or what you were going to go through that you would have quit because you said you got it from a man. He said, you didn't get it from a man. You've got no way out. So. When did you first feel the call of God upon your life? I was in a prayer meeting at our house with another couple and my wife, and uh, the presence of God got so powerful that we were afraid to even lift our face off the carpet. Nobody wanted to move. And uh, God spoke to me, and my wife got the oneness revelation that night. She didn't have it. This was before we were going to the Apostolic Church. And uh, he told me I'd be one of his letters. Gave me a chapter and a verse, which I'm not going to relate, because some people don't understand that kind of stuff. Uh, let's just say it the way it is. When things are too spiritual for Pentecostal people, they believe it's karma. <laughs> and he used certain verses and told me certain things, and it all came to pass. And uh, it took a process of time. I had to get into the, bring me into a church that preached uh, truth. And uh, all churches have their weaknesses, of course. And and then when I fast forward back to my second church I was in, when I went on the 21-day fast, I told God, um, 
you know, I can make a lot of money here, Lord. There are several uh, large data processing companies that really want me to go with them, um, competitors. And um, I says, or you want me in the ministry? It's one of the two. Because I was preaching at least once a week and uh, being out of town three days a week. I could barely mow my own lawn. And uh, I said, God's got whatever you want, I'll do it. Well, I went on the fast. He told me I would know uh, January the 15th. So I guess some guys got to have drama. And all kinds of spiritual things happen and loud voices, etc. But uh, it's a still small voice that's always really got my attention. It's, it's very strong. And so I said, fine, January the 15th, like I said, that one preacher confirmed it. And January the 15th, uh, the word was out that there'd be a layoff at our company, first time in history. And lo and behold, I got laid off. And uh, so I had my answer. I knew I was going to be in the ministry. But I didn't know how. I didn't know where. And I prayed to get away from where I was at, uh, there were men that were in the assemblies, which is, they were good men, but well, let's face it, uh, like I've always said, in, you can't add water to soup to make it taste stronger. And uh, I want to find something stronger. And uh, so I moved down the horizon to pray and go to, uh, I wanted to go to North Carolina, Asheville. And as I was driving to pick up my last paycheck at uh, Reynolds and Reynolds, and I'd always driven by the city called Vandalia in Ohio, and I always point out to God, it'd be a good place for a church, because 75 and 70, where there are lots of transportation, that sort of thing. And uh, I'd always said that, never thinking anything about it, because I wasn't interested. And I uh, didn't really want to be a pastor. I thought I'd be a fancy evangelist or something. And I was driving by the last day to get my paycheck, and I pointed out the city to me. I said, I said, Lord, that'd be a good place for a church. And all I heard was, I've been trying to tell you. That's all it took. Got to work 15 minutes later, got my last paycheck. And uh, long story short, talked to a lady I listened to eight years. She had been uh, in a church finally, and I was kind of disappointed. I acted happy and talked to her. And she got divorced. And... Uh, God just put the words in my mouth, and I told him what it was. And said, nobody knows that. I said, God does. How do you know? I said, I don't know. I didn't think it. I didn't hear it. I just said it. Nobody knows. I said, well, God does. And I got my first Bible study, my first convert, and she's still in the church today. Hmm. And it was pretty dramatic, but I won't, I, you know, just protecting people you can't say. And so we started the church. And uh, we rented a, an elementary school classroom that was closed. Three-sided glass classroom. We got up to 105 degrees in there in the summertime. We had to unload our equipment. And uh, interesting stuff. Load the equipment and uh, set it up every day and take it back down. Couldn't store it. Had to haul the trunk in my car. Bought a, a safari van so it would make it easier. And that went on for a number of years. And um, the last place we were in, we, we renovated the basement of a bank. It was the first time in the history of the church that we didn't have to set up the equipment and take it back down. And the first time I had my own office to study in, in a, in a building. 
It was uh, the coat room. I took the coat racks off the walls and put a desk in there. <laughs> we had a Sunday school in one corner of that sanctuary, Sunday school in the other uh, corner, and one class on the steps of the bank, you know, on in the inside of the bank. So, but God was always good, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of good things happened. Never had a doubt. You know, we went to, I come to see, one, two, three, four, five locations. We were asked to leave over prayer out of two locations. One place we identified witchcraft there, next day we were gone. But that's a long story. But, uh, it's one of those things when you really trust God, that you've heard his voice, you really are like all, you drank the Kool-Aid. And nothing changes your mind. You know, I never felt fear, doubt, concern. We got, had to go find a church, another building. I said, God, not my problem. It's just not my problem. You want church here? You got to do it. Hmm. And I'd say, I'm going to go, I'll walk. But you got to open a door. First place I knocked, every time, I got a place to go. We never missed one service, ever. Wow. My first midweek service, that girl I was telling you about, that convert, that I, from Reynolds, Reynolds got the Holy Ghost that day. Our first midweek service, we've been doing Bible study with her. And we just continued to build Bible studies. There was a time we had eight in one week, consistently. And then we went to a point where we were traveling to Washington, D.C., to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, to St. St. Ignatz, or whatever it's called up there, uh, just over the other side of the, uh, the bridge, going to the Upper Peninsula. And uh, all three of those families were converted and baptized. Uh, two of those families moved down into the church. Hmm. And, uh, but you know, when you really know where you're supposed to be, it sure does make things a lot easier. Yes. I hear some people say that I couldn't do that. And I said, well, I couldn't do what you did. <laughs> you know, like uh, Elder Davis, Robert Davis. I, I said remodeling is a lot tougher than starting from scratch. Though a lot of men start from scratch were about having a building. <laughs> wrong attitude. But when you remodel, you don't have the blueprints a lot of times. You start moving a wall, and next thing you know, it's a supporting wall that caves in. <laughs> I said, well, starting a church... You're, you're putting the thumbprint on it from, from the, right from Jump Street, so to speak. And uh, so I never had any concerns or doubts that way. And we went from place to place, and we saw numbers of people baptized with the Holy Ghost. And, uh, one day, Leonard Westbury, Elder Westbury, was uh, one of my dearest friends. <clears throat> and uh, he had preached for us many times. In one service, he told us, uh, Brother Roberts... It's time. Now, Brother Wester was not lent to giving his opinion or giving you a direction. That was as bold as he's ever been. And I said, okay, I know what you're saying, Elder, but say it plain now. Be very specific. He said, it's time to build. I said, that's exactly what I was thinking you were going to say. And one year later, uh, or one year later, we had a property and we broke ground later on. And uh, we built the church on I-70. And uh, Brother Westberg was there to dedicate with uh, Elder Robert Davis and uh, Elder D.C. Moody. So, quite a time. That's the new building that y'all are still in. Yeah. Beautiful building, by the way. Just right off the highway. Yes, sir. 
Um, can you talk about your relationship with Pastor Davis? I know that you and him pastored in the city about the same time you began pastoring here, right? That... We were all six months apart. Uh, there was three of us. Elder Chad Craig, Elder Robert Davis, and myself. And I'm not sure which one's which. I think either Brother Craig or Brother Davis was the first one. I, I know I was six months after Brother Craig when I started. And uh, I remember Brother Davis when he was still an evangelist. And he had an old Lincoln town car. He's pulling a trailer behind. That poor Lincoln was, was hurting, I'll tell you. <laughs> Put that tail end down pretty firm. But uh, that's when I met him, and uh, friendship developed. Friendship takes growth. Uh, friendship takes growth. I I don't call people, I, I call people friends like everybody does, but there's friends and there's friends. And uh, friends are those that uh, you'll stand back to back and fight the devil. You'll fight for one another. And... Uh, those are the kind of people I call friends that you can trust, trust with your heart, and vice versa. And uh, but everybody else is just not your friends. But the trust isn't there. And sad to say, but um, trust is a big issue amongst men. But then again, trust is what makes men what they are in the ministry. The men I've seen have been successful. Trusted God. And trusted God for others, not trusting for them to be validated and certified. Mm. So, I met him then in uh, my first year anniversary service. Now, we were having one service a week. Couldn't afford any more than that. And uh, weren't allowed to use that classroom. And so in that one-room classroom, uh, my anniversary service for all eight or twelve of us, whatever there was, um, Elder Robert Davis preached it and he gave me a clock and uh, it's in my office now a crystal with a insert a battery driven insert it died a long time ago I haven't worked for 20 years but I still keep the clock <laughs> it was the first time anybody ever gave me anything hmm. in honor of the ministry hmm. So, and it went on from there and uh, we all had our battles. <clears throat> and Brother Davis has always been a friend. And we always agreed. Pretty much most of the time. <laughs> but then we have areas we don't agree. But uh, the old saying is, uh, how does that go? We can agree to disagree. That ain't the way it is with us. We just don't agree. We don't have to agree about it. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked a couple of times in here about an issue of faith and how it took faith to start the church, took faith every step of the way. I actually heard the title of a very popular book out there right now called Reasonable Faith, which I found... Unreasonable? Unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to talk to you about the issue of faith. Can you describe how do you see faith? Trust. That's it. It's, it's when you know... That's what God wants. Or you know that's what God wants you to do. Or you know that's the way God wants you to be. You trust Him. People, faith is trusting God with the outcome. And where both people's faith fails them is they give God one outcome. 
which they think is the best. And uh, when God doesn't do that, they lose their faith. So, they're basically, that's not faith. That's telling God what to do under the guise of prayer. Hmm. And if you really want to answer to prayer, you got to tell God what I really hate. I hope it don't go this way. And what you really want, say, God, I'll accept both extremes and right down the middle too. And God will answer. And a lot of times, it's, the, the faith is really reflex. You cannot program faith. To program faith, you might as well be a prosperity preacher. Can't do it. It's um, some of the most men that were envied and sometimes disliked is because they trusted God enough that when they did what they believed to be God's will, God did that. But they did it with the intent of the benefit being to the other person and not lifting up their image. And most men are image seekers. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. Can you also talk about the importance of getting a revelation? You kind of touched on some of that, but uh, what do you think is the importance, the value of a revelation? Well, you ever heard of the expression hiding in plain sight? Mm, no, I haven't. Okay, it's one of the things I guess that would use in the camouflage areas is being in plain sight, but you fit in so well that you're not noticed. Mm. Um, that's the way God's Word is in His revelation. Um, I believe, all you Bible scholars can throw rocks at me later, that man's born with three uh, things from birth, all men. Because God says it's His will, none should perish. If we all started off with the same foundations, or not the same foundations, it wouldn't be true, and it wouldn't be fair. So when we're given the measure of faith, it's a the measure of faith. That means it's a portion. I think we all get the same portion at birth. And uh, though we don't understand the, the words, experience brings us around to it. Uh, I believe that uh, it says, Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So we all have that to begin with, that, uh, that deep-seated root of Jesus Christ that's there. And then it says in Romans 1, that uh, paraphrasing that you're, if God made you, then... Uh, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, including His Godhead, and you have no excuse. So I believe that the one God is built into humanity from the get-go, from Adam all the way through. And at that point, um, it's there, and it's hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And you got to have a heart to start seeking after God. And uh, to get there, I guess you have to figure some things out. One, there is a God. Two, there must be a heaven. If there's a heaven, there's a hell. And three, uh, you probably got hell dead straight ahead if you don't stop. And with that, when you finally get to that place and you go seeking, he'll reveal himself to you. But if you're in church for heaven or hell, chances are you'll find hell. You're not going to make it uh, because you're in it for a reward when it's all about relationship. And I'm afraid a lot of people, they do things out of obedience, which is a fine thing. 
but it's not enough to save you. There's got to be something in you that has desire, and it's an act of love, and that's called submission. Hmm. So, God will reveal areas of your life when you submit them. You can only fix them then. You can obey and through dominant will, not smoke. That doesn't mean you're not submitted to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the way I think so. The revelation, um, there's going to be a lot of heartache when you go into walking with God. There always is. But some people focus on all the heartaches and they never really just get the true sense of God's love. I've had people say, Honest to God, they've said this. That, you know, they don't want to invite people to church because of how hard it's going to be on them. And I said, do you mean to tell me that hell would be easier? So, that tells you some people that are faithful that they better start looking it over again because they're not in for the love of God. They're in for the end run. I'm sorry, I... I don't think I can make it just wanting to be in heaven. I think I gotta, I'll get there because I want to please Him and I love Him. Yes, I love the point you made about relationship and revelation, how the two are married. Um, I think that's an awesome point. And something else, maybe if you don't mind talking about too, is there's more to revelation than just what we think of as the apostolic doctrine. Repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. There's more to the revelation than that. I've heard one man say, and I, I try to understand what he's explained, but I don't know if I agree with it. Um, some look at revelation as a, a big high point. Um, but revelation is things of old that are unseen that are open to your eyes today. He was one God from the beginning. And he became three gods along the way, or others. So, uh, the revelation, um, you're talking about like a relationship? Mm -hmm. When you want to love him and serve him, he'll show himself. And that Bible study I went to, one man wanted to be the image of the leader. And God really moved in that Bible study, like it or not, the prophecies came true. In fact, the man prophesied his own doom and didn't know it because he didn't understand the, the interpretation. And all those men got baptized in Jesus' name. And they all had the Holy Ghost. And they came to the, the inside of holiness and started changing outward and inward. And it uh, wasn't enough. They didn't get this. There was no apostolic preacher preaching to them. We're talking about a bunch of, you know, newbies in a Bible study. And uh, out of all those men, we all got baptized. And I noticed them all drifting. And, uh, and I began to pray, what's going on? You know, pretty soon they, they had fasted and they prayed. And God told them they didn't have to fast anymore now that once they've done it. And things started changing, and they started believing that people were saved. They got to places called ultimate reconciliation. Ultimately, God restores everyone to himself, including the devil. They based that on uh, the loose use of a strong concordance and the word purr, which is fire. When you say Holy Ghost and fire, the word fire is purr. 
When you say lake of fire, the word fire is per. Therefore, they conclude the lake of fire was the Holy Ghost of fire and purged everybody. Now they don't even believe that. They believe they'll become the sons of God will be revealed in the end time. Congratulations, man. None of them would go to an apostolic church now. None of them believe it. Um, I was a thorn in the flesh because I did believe it. And uh, they didn't like it. And one day I'm impressed. God, why are these guys going wrong? You Bible scholars can fix me on this, but I don't think I'd want to be baptized by somebody who didn't really believe it, but just did it out of performance. Mm-hmm. The Mormons will baptize you in Jesus' name if you ask them. Um, maybe if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about your early years of pastoring? Are there any memories, any things that stick out to you about it? Well, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> didn't have anything. It was a whole lot easier. Um, we didn't take the first time from the church for 11 years. Hmm. Didn't have my own office for the first 9 or 10 years. Oh, I, I had a bedroom I used. But, uh, didn't have our own place where we could be set up, you know, all, the whole week around. And... Uh, I don't know, I hear all these guys weeping about it, and I just, I never felt that way. I, I never, maybe I was just too dumb. Um, I guess I call it Holy Ghost anesthesia. You're so numb from doing what God tells you, you just don't feel the pain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to a whole missions conference, and the, the guys up there had town cars, big churches, and they were weeping for us. We were on the cutting edge, we, and I'm quoting these guys. It's just unbelievable today. And he said, uh, one of them said, you'll never have a town car like I do. <laughs> and you'll never have a big building like we do. <laughs> I'm going, this is for home missionaries to build us up? <laughs> My God. <laughs> and they told us not to even think of having a building until we had 150 people. Uh, we got 9,000 square feet up there. Not a big building, maybe. Not small either. But we did that with 60 people. So, I guess I missed the projections. Shame on me. <laughs> and uh, they were interested in the image, and I, I didn't have much. It was really funny. A, a brother and I had gone to the seminar together, and we rented a car together. Him and his wife and my wife, and we were we were broke, no joke, and uh, I worked part-time tossing mail and, um, you know, uh, bags of mail and uh, washing cars and detailing cars, and my wife worked part-time as a nurse, and we scratched on by. Big night out with a $7 pizza, and uh, we had to rent a car, so we rented a Chevette. We got there, they had no more Chevettes, and they gave us a Lincoln Town car, and here we are... Broke home missionaries pulling into the home missions conference, and we're driving a town car. Well, there was sheets for Christ money went out the door then. <laughs> <laughs> so they're telling us this, and I remember I had a J.C. Penny shirt, and I had my initials glued on my pocket. This fellow was from Dallas, not James Davis, and he just kept admiring that shirt. Man, that's really nice. Oh, I like that shirt. Where'd you get that, J.C. Penny? Man, I like that, and I finally. I got a hold of the initial R, and I peeled it off, and I handed it to him, and I said, here. 
and gave him that letter off my shirt. <laughs> I was a wise guy, but uh, I guess he's right. I never had a town car like he did. I didn't want one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what are some of your favorite aspects of pastoring? Watching souls come into the truth, receiving the Holy Ghost, <coughs> baptizing them, and then they, they get the spirit of holiness where they learn to walk with God, not out of the benefit, but out of compassion and love and passion for Him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the thing that I hate most about pastoring was redundancy. How can somebody do the same thing over and over with the same wrong result hmm. and think it's okay? <laughs> I remember hearing Brother Moody say, you probably heard him say it too, that he has little slips that he keeps for certain saints. He said, when they come to me for counseling, he said, well, here's a slip. This is what I'm going to say. This is what you're going to say. And this is what you're going to do. He said, so just come up. When you're ready for counseling, I'll hand you your slip. Go home. <laughs> Save a lot of time. Yeah. There's some that can do well with counseling, I guess. And uh, most do not. They're not going to grasp it from an anointed message. They won't grasp it from an anointed office. Hmm. Good point. It's <laughs> good. Um, maybe now let's get into some of your relationships. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your relationship with Elder Westberg. Elder Westberg? Well, I guess more than anyone else is probably my father in the gospel in a lot of ways. Though he didn't teach me, um, though he didn't put a lot of doctrine in me, because uh, the, the job was pretty much done, uh, but he did love me. And um, where I, I met him years ago, I was traveling, and I was a real weirdo. When I traveled, I'd look for an apostolic church when I was out of town. I mean, how stupid, right? Who'd go to church when they're out of town? It's vacation, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'd always look up for a UPC church because I, I knew deep down they couldn't be too stupid at that time. <laughs> There's a lot of whack churches out there, let's face it. Yeah. And uh, I went to a UPC church in Salina, Kansas. And um, I was, uh, I walked in, and it was Sheets for Christ. And uh rally that night. And as we walked in, and a fellow met me and said, Are you a preacher? I said, Yes, sir. You want to sit in the pulpit with us? I said, Well, I'd rather not, but. Whatever you want me to do. And I sat next to Brother Westberg. And we never even talked, but I, his presence was enough. And I can remember that the way he crossed his legs about the way I'm doing now, which I never used to be able to do. I guess when you get older, you can. Hmm. Then one foot is just kind of bobbing just a little bit. He had a brown leather shoe on and a cap toe and a pair of brown socks. And uh, we never even spoke. And uh, years later, I became a home missions pastor. And um, people can be cruel to uh, preachers' kids. And it's just, I guess, a reflex. They see their children corrected in the office, and they want to see your children corrected publicly. 
they don't see your correction in the office being the same as the correction of their kid in the office. They want to be an eyewitness. And I told them, if you really want it that way, I says, then we'll do all our correction in public. And uh, it had been extremely hard on my sons that uh, kids would be outside and actually cuss them and say, we hate your father's guts, etc., etc. Well, I guess you're no longer in the church. You might know that by now, too. Those guys. And uh, we hate your father, etc. And uh, there was things that happened. They were not invited to join in. and So that was the year we decided to go to Dallas Conference, Revival Conference, James Davis. And uh, I want to give my son something uh, and some hope. And so down we went. It was a wonderful meeting. And uh, in those days, going to the altar was paramount. You know, if they preached about the heart, my heart would never be right. And I'd always go to the altar. Well, one night I'd asked one man to preach for me. He says, well, he, well, I'm pretty busy. And I'll, I'll pray about it. <clears throat> the tone of voice was pretty specific to me, and my read was pretty clear that um, we were just too small for that man to consider. And uh, I didn't realize that, uh, shall we say, there were men that were bigger than others. In a lot of ways, but those men never added or acted like that. They acted just like they're common, like the rest of us, though they had very gifted ministries. And I went to the next fellow in line, and her preacher was Elder Leonard Westberg. And I said, uh, Elder Westberg, uh, I'd like if you come and preach for me. You know, I'm, I'm in the big time now, folks, not knowing it. And uh, I can almost afford to bring somebody in to preach now. <laughs> and he said, well, Brother Roberts, I'd be glad to. I am busy. I'm the district superintendent and preach out quite a bit and have a large church. But I will pray about it. There was a difference in the two. And that night, I can't remember who preached it, but uh caught my heart. I used to love to weep at an altar. And uh, so up to the altar I went, and I was having me a good old snotter call of God and uh, just loving the presence of God and, and uh, felt a big old hand come down the middle of my back and I grabbed him and I said Brother Roberts I'm coming to preach for you and that was Leonard Westbury hmm. and uh, he came a few times and I guess he knew my background and how I came in and I guess I heard later after he passed his his wife told me, she said that he'd come home one, one time and he said, Sweet. He said, Brother Robert needs a father. I want to be a father to him. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I miss him more my own father. Hmm. My dad was a good man, but the Westbrook was special. He had a unique style of preaching too, didn't he? Well, I had one man say it was crude, and I said, let me listen to a tape. If that's crude, I hope I can get there. Yeah. And uh, never preached to me. It was too crude until I, I preached it, and the guy got interested after that, but that's fine. <laughs> but uh, he preached for us in little churches we were, and uh, he'd come once or twice a year, 
at least twice a year probably. And want to go on vacation and uh, we just drew real close and uh, he liked to play Rook. And, <laughs> but uh, I remember was the last full vacation he took before he took the cruise was that year. And uh, he called me and said, Brother Roberts, he said, let's go to Amish country. I said, are you serious? Said, Absolutely, let's go. And that's unusual because Brother Westbrook really didn't like vacations all that well. He just wanted to make his wife happy. And so we went and he had a good vacation. And uh, in that vacation, my wife's father passed away. And we finished vacation and took care of all those problems. But uh, that September is when he passed. Hmm. Wow. In July and he passed in September. I think we were the last church he preached for out. Elder, can you tell us when you first met Elder James Davis? <clears throat> well, I, I can't recall if he preached me at uh, St. David's or not, to be honest with you. But anyhow, let's just say that uh, I met him at another church, perhaps, and talked with him. But we went out of the Dallas Conference, and that's kind of where it started to roll. Met uh, Brother Leonard uh, Westberg and Brother James Davis, at least more. Intimately, shall we say, as far as talking with one another, other than just seeing them and noticing and shaking hands and nodding and waving. And so, uh, those were probably the two, two of the biggest men in my life. You know, I'd say uh, James Davis and Leonard Westberg. And, and then I guess I'd say I'm peers with someone like Robert Davis. Probably not, but I'm an older man, but, um, we were in the ministry at the same time. But James Davis there, and uh, he is, as he would say, unique. <laughs> the long use. And a uh, tender man. And uh, really a man of faith. And uh, like I said, faith is so misrepresented. But it's really just knowing God and trusting God, no matter the outcome. And uh, he was unique in his area, shall we say. Uh, he was known for praying people through to the Holy Ghost. But it wasn't, how do you say it? It wasn't a matter of if and hope. To James Davis, it was the expected outcome. You know, And I don't mean that from the sense of uh, him being brash or arrogant, but it, that's just the way it was with God. So, he was that way. And, um, I've been with him in times, and he used to like to, when he'd get up to an altar, he'd see a sinner at the altar. That's another thing that set him apart, is he actually loves sinners. Huh, fancy that. Hmm. And, uh, and he didn't look at their pay stub first. Hmm. And uh, he would get down and... <clears throat> People don't know how to pray. And I used to get down just to hear him pray. And he'd weep. He was a weeper, folks. You don't see much of that in Pentecost. And uh, he'd start praying for himself. And what a horrible, unholy sinner he was. <laughs> and pretty soon that poor person next to him started weeping with him. And I guess at first weeping for poor Brother Davis and then finally realizing it was them too. <laughs> <laughs> Probably said, oh, this guy's a preacher, my God. But, uh, <clears throat> and uh, he would just, he would feel it. 
and he was tender that way. Brother Davis, uh, he heard from God in dreams a lot. Yes, he did. In fact, all his men have that kind of propensity. Yes. His son, John McFall, uh, God talks him in dreams. Uh, I rarely get a dream. I, I try to get a punch in the nose. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so <clears throat> he was that kind of a man. Sensitive, tough. I, I, he was kind of like an M&M. Hard candy shell, but soft on the inside. Hmm. And uh, That's quotable. <laughs> he's very tender. And uh, I watched him do uh, many amazing things, praying for people. And uh, he was our first revival. And it was at Larry Avenue. My first, honest-to-goodness, weekend revival, more than one service. And I asked him, and we didn't have the money. Hmm. And uh, man of the church, I never said anything. His wife had uh, been in some Bible study now, and she used to just only come for special occasions. I mean, I remember one time telling that woman, hey, you know, Sunday's a holiday, you're coming. So what holiday is it? I said, April Fool's Day. She came to church. She laughed and came, but... She had uh, repented in, in the Bible study finally and that sort of thing. And in the revival, uh, her husband said, you know, I just feel like I need to give you $500 so we can have this revival. I already announced it. I'm going, wow, because we didn't have the money. That, that got us over the, the hump. And uh, keep in mind all the money being saved for the future. And I didn't take a check. And uh, sad, but some people call that a sacrifice and I don't know do we really sacrifice I mean do we really for all that we get I, I think the balance sheet's not in our favor on sacrifice that's a good point and uh, we're writing checks on money we don't have I think spiritually but so he came to our little puny group and that's I always found fascinating about good men big men it wasn't the size it was what they felt from God Hmm. And James Davis preached as hard for my 20 people, or 30, whatever it was, if it was that many, as he would preach for a conference. And uh, he had blinders to crowds. He just, he just preached. And uh, he got to preaching that time. And that lady whose husband gave the money up, her friend got the Holy Ghost. Oh, my God. And uh, the next night, she got the Holy Ghost. We had some Baptist folks come to visit. They were running, shouting Baptists now. They dressed holiness, I might add. In fact, some churches could use that example today. And uh, they, man, they shot with the best of them. They yippee ki they, they had it. And uh, then when Elder Davis began to pray for people, and it was like one of those two-step-up platforms, and uh, they were just staring at him. I wonder, here we go. And he said, he just looked out at that lady and says, You don't believe this, do you? And that's why he would say it. That drawn out you. And she said, No. He says, Well, why don't you come up here? And he drew a circle out in front of him on the floor and stand in that circle and see if it's real. And she did. 
And if you've ever been around him, <clears throat> he would just get a little dot of oil on his finger and, and he would say this, I'm going to pray for you. Anoint you with oil. When I pray, pray the prayer of faith, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. That was it. No magic, no drama. <clears throat> no angels and cherubs floating on the ceiling. And he'd touch them praying like that. Okay, now, some people say James Davis had a gift. Uh, he did not have the gift of giving the Holy Ghost. That's the giver's God. Mm-hmm. But he did have confidence in God to do it. He had trust in him. Mm-hmm. And that was the difference. And people seek the gifts, they say. Um, I'd have to look that word up. I just wonder what that really means in some ways. I think maybe perhaps seek the gift that's in you, mm-hmm. that God's already put in you. And James Davis had the gift of being able to pray for people with confidence for their benefit, and the result was they received the Holy Ghost. He did not confer the Holy Ghost. Anybody says that his, 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 uh, they're not doing his, uh, what shall I say, his legacy properly. It's not, it's not right. Yes. And uh, so that lady came up, that Baptist lady, and he told her that, and he touched her head. I tell you what, I'd, I'd pay $10,000 for that experience. I mean, God lit that woman up. I mean, she was talking in tongues. She would have made the Chinese proud. I mean, she was... Man, a mile a minute. <clears throat> and she was dancing and shouting, and man, she was all disjointed. She just, boy, she couldn't turn loose of it. Like she grabbed a hold of 110 and was doing the St. Vitus dance. <clears throat> so, uh, they left and never came back. And uh, it scared them. And, 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 you know, I've noticed that when there's authority in the church, visitors are always scared. Mm-hmm. It scares them because. We've been taught against authority. And um, I, I couldn't understand that for years. How could a Baptist woman, who you really believe it, get the Holy Ghost? How can that be? And it took years to finally just praying one day, and I brought that back up to God. It came out this way to me. She was a Baptist, and she had really repented. Repented, my words now, um, is really a deep experience. It changes your life. I'm afraid apostolics have changed that, thinking the Holy Ghost is more important. Hmm. They're equally important. Yes. You can't get the Holy Ghost without repentance. Yes, sir. And um, so the Lord told me she had repented, and then he referred me to Peter when he said this, and what I say is clean, is clean. Hmm. He accepted the repentance, and gave her the Holy Ghost. And from that point, it was her problem. And I've seen people receive the Holy Ghost before they are baptized, and after they are baptized, and sometimes weeks after they are baptized. So, if you think you've got the formula, you just call this old preacher up and tell him what it is. I'd love to know. <laughs> but I think it's trust and faith. Yes. And the person was ready. That woman who didn't believe it really was ready because she wanted to know. You know. Getting back to something you said there, too. Uh, I was blessed to, when he died, I got access to all of his journals. And he kept very careful records. Okay. Uh, he was a man that everywhere he preached... You had access to his journals. I have. Okay. I still, to, to this day, have them. I have photocopies of them. I've digitized all of them. Uh, he has where he preached, what he preached, how many got the Holy Ghost, uh, what the offering was. Because he was a careful... He kept all of that, uh, some for tax purposes. 
and he would keep everything, uh, you know, in record form. And as I've gone back over them, something that really stuck out to me is how little he actually made at any of these revivals. And I'm not talking about before he pastored in Bulk Springs, before the church was large. I'm talking about as the church was large. He would go and preach at small churches and many times no offering, no offering, no offering. Paid for my own motel bill, paid for my own, because that's just the kind of man he was. <laughs> that's the kind of Holy Ghost God has. Mm. Okay. Uh, I can remember one man who was known to be a great man. Not UPC, I don't know what he was. Maybe he was. won't use his name. But um, he he would uh, he, he actually told me this that if a man didn't give him a big enough offering, he'd put it back in his pocket and tell him to keep it. Is there anything he preached that you remember? Yep. He preached about leprosy, and he was talking about leprosy of the brain. Hmm. And he preached out of St. David's. That's the only place that could have been. That uh, he did preach there then. He preached for me in St. David's, and that's where we went down to the conference from there. And um, that might have been a one night stand then. But, uh, you know, another one I think that really has never uh, left me alone was he preached about that uh, every preacher has his graveyard. And he was talking about, if I recall correctly, a dream. He's looking out his back window. And he had a graveyard. And he was talking about the souls that he didn't get. And he was weeping. And that's what James Davis was. On the other side of your house. Is that the message? I don't know what the title was. Just the graveyard. That could have been it. He has one that he preached that. And called out specific people in the church and said, Please don't be a tombstone out my back window. Yeah. That's it. Incredible message. Incredible. Yeah, I found it interesting. One man we talked to about my grandpa, he mentioned the fact he said he wasn't an orator, but he had messages that stuck with you. You know something? I would hate to be called an orator. Yeah. You know, I know many great orators, but I can't say Daniel Webster had the Holy Ghost, much less Abe Lincoln. Yeah, true. And I'm afraid that and then Pentecost wants the preacher to do something fantastic and show a vast amount of depth and intelligence, and they've discounted what the anointing will do. James Davis was a great preacher. Most of you, Mark 16, mm-hmm. signs to follow them that believe. That's a great preacher. That's good. Good point. Excellent. Uh, Something I was going to ask you, too, on here as well. Is there any other memories maybe that stick out to you about him? Just as a person. Maybe talk about him as a person and some of your impressions of him. The thing that sticks out about me is is the sense of humor and the soberness and the tenderness. Mm -hmm. That's the three words you think about James Davis. Very serious. But man, he was given to humor so readily. And uh, I can remember a few stories about Brother Davis in some of those areas, widely known. And some of his men that have dreams have the same kind of humor. (laughs) (laughs) True. 
this is very true. Okay. Elder, if you don't mind, can you talk about the greatest element to soul winning? Well, the greatest element of soul winning is loving people. And the element that makes that possible is the Word of God. And if you love God, then soul winning is part of it. If you're not a witness, I don't think you're saved. You just don't have you don't have that Word of God in you like you should. Uh, the parable of the sower and the seed is the basis to understand all parables. Most people don't understand the parable. They think it's to make things easier. I won't go into a long explanation, but I'll just go right down to the good ground. And in Matthew 13 and Mark 4, it talks about the good ground. And it speaks of the good ground as being, it produces some 30, some 60, and some 100. And well it is. But that's the summary. And that tells you what the harvest is. But it doesn't tell you how to do it. And Luke doesn't mention 30, 60, and 100. But he tells us how to do it. He says this, but that on the good ground are they which an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. So, you guard it, and you bring forth fruit with patience. Soul winning is relationship. Soul winning is a Bible study. These one-hour Bible studies may tweak somebody's interest, and you can only say there's more to this, and you've got to get them into a relationship in a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And if you think you're going to clean the fish and get them there, in six months, sometimes, generally, no. You know, look at yourself. We're all processing time. There's nobody perfect. We all like to use that for an excuse to be imperfect. But the fact of the matter remains, when we become perfect, we have to go. Because we have no more need of God. He'll have to take us, take us up or we have to pass away. And a lot of people pass away imperfect. I'll probably be one of those. But... <laughs> It says that that on the good ground they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. No man when he hath lighted a candle, there it is, we're the light of the world. If you know the parable of the sower and the seed, if you're going to produce, there's only one way to produce, and that is to shine the light. And cover it with a vessel, or put it under a bed that here. <laughs> no man when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel, or put it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. There it is, folks. If you're going to produce, you've got to show a light. If you don't show a light and you're not willing, then you go need to go get the Holy Ghost. You don't have it. Mm-hmm. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken, even that which they seemeth to have. Well, Brother Roberts, you just went too far with that, saying maybe you don't have the Holy Ghost. Well, let me go to the book of Mark, and we'll find the same parable. And let's just kind of look at what he says. He began to teach, and he taught them things, and he taught about how those things went. And he teaches the parable of the sower. He speaks it. And what happens is, the apostles have some questions. And when he's alone... They that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. In other words, we don't get it. And he said unto them, unto them, unto you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive. 
Okay? Uh, in other words, it registers, but uh, you see it in your eyeballs. It's a carnal viewpoint, but the perception is not there. And hearing they may hear, they hear words. He says that they may hear and not understand. Now, listen to what he says here. Lest at any time they should be converted. What does that mean? Do you understand conversion, folks? Well, figure it out for yourselves then. To the true worship of God would be one definition. And that their sins should be forgiven then. What are you saying, preacher? That if you don't get the parable, and you're not producing, and you're not wanting to win souls, you're not saved. Saved is past tense in English. Okay? Saved means you've entered the, the process. The Holy Ghost is the earnest of our salvation, the down payment. Mm-hmm. Having the Holy Ghost does not mean you're saved past tense. Mm-hmm. It means to be delivered, if you're going to use the word properly. Mm-hmm. To be is a future tense. I'm not there. I'm still here. Patience. Yes. I found that I've become more impatient as I've gotten older. Um, redundancies, I guess, do that. But having the patience on God to move and keep your hoe out of the garden until he tells you to hoe. You know, patience takes, it's a four-letter word, time, Mm. T-I-M-E. And my strongest families, it took, in some cases, nine months before they ever came to church. But they had the earmark, okay? I eventually baptized, that's an earmark. I, I think who you baptize, who baptize you is critical to where you stand. If a man doesn't truly have that revelation deep in his spirit that he'll never turn from it. I, we got a bad baptism, perhaps. Oh, we got, but their faith, I hope so, but they better find a place to go to church eventually. Mm-hmm. You know? So, patience is a... Uh, love has patience. Love, um... The person who hurts you the most is the one you love the most. Mm-hmm. If your wife would call you a name, pick a name... That could hurt you. But if somebody on the street calls a name, he's going like, yee, so what? Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, these people are learning to listen to us. They're learning about love because they don't know what it is. And then we take a look at the patience that Jesus Christ has. Because there's not one man I know of that's really worthy of the blood. He should have smoked every one of us. I know. It's the mercy of God that lets any of us continue with our bitterness, our failures, our lack, you know, all these things. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. Mm-hmm. One man told me he hasn't sinned since he had the Holy Ghost. And I, I just kind of smiled and I said, well, you have now because you just lied to yourself. <laughs> you know, the Bible says to him to know to do good and do it not to him and his sin. So, man... Tell me you haven't sinned again? <laughs> so, patience, they say, is a virtue. Uh, it, it's not. It's, it's, it's rough stuff. But do not pray for patience. That would be foolhardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, pray for faith. And when you're looking for, I believe it's for Peter, you'll find out he says, and add to your faith virtue. That means strength. We can go through the list. But the point being... Uh, maybe it's a good point to make on the whole process. Let me dig it up real quick if you all have patience for an old man. When you talk about a patience, to have patience you have to have holiness. You've got to have submission in your own life. And uh, holiness is a whole other issue, but 
if you don't have the spirit of holiness and that, that deep-seated effort to please God, instead of wearing the uniform to get accepted, you, you won't be saved either. I said it's narrow is the, is the way. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more narrow than we think in some ways, but it's not hard. Mm-hmm. It's just our carnal mind gets in the way. But Paul's talking about uh, uh, these things. He's like, grace, I'm sorry, Peter, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now it's talking about knowledge, isn't it? And we're talking about, uh, I guess, what we receive. But what good is knowledge if we can't use it? Okay? So we have knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Hmm. We've got them all. To the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So now we've got life and godliness. Okay? We've got the breath we take. We've got eternal life in our hands. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's the root of holiness right there. And beside this, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue, that's strength, and to virtue knowledge, once again knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, moderation, and to temperance, patience. Patience is cheerful endurance, and to patience, God is being like him. And God is brotherly kindness. Oh my. And he has to talk about brotherly kindness? And to brotherly kindness, charity. So now he tells about two kinds of love. I know people can love a sinner quicker than they love their brother. You know, in the congregation, brothers and sisters, just like in families, fuss. And mom and dad, the pastor and his wife, can love the whole bunch of brats together anyhow. <laughs> And to, and for these things, for if these things be in you, okay, this is what we're adding to faith. That's the multivitamin. Faith is a multivitamin. Don't pray for one of those things in particular. Pray for faith. And the vitamin you need will enterically be in, you know, brought into you when you need it. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means, well, I'll, I'll use the word barren for you just to be nice. It means inactive, useless, nor unfruitful, without fruit. Another definition would put it this way. Unemployed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Wow. we got a lot of Christians who are unemployed hmm. because they won't do what they have to do to produce. Wow. They won't let a light shine, you know? Uh, how many people do you walk by and you feel a, just a twitch to go somewhere and you won't do it? I'm too busy, I'm too this. Your schedule is so important that someone is not worth even speaking a word to to plant a seed, whether you harvest it or not, no matter what city you're in, that somehow will take root and God can work with them. You are a presumptuous fool. Hmm. to think that you'll be accepted from not trying to produce. Hmm. Wow, it's powerful. Going back to the point you made talking about uh, patience. Um, you might have to take my words and smooth them up a little bit. I'm a little rough. No, no, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, how long would you typically teach a Bible study to somebody that you're not seeing much result from? I never stop till they say, Uncle. Really? I've gotten out within two years, and he's told me he's all right. Hmm. 
and he quotes from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. And I say, I've got I got a thousand dollars for it. Can you show me that ever done in the scripture? I said, it said name, and you're using a title. The most confusing verse to many people about who God is is the very one that showed me who He is. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's just my weird thinking. I didn't have to hear I'm one. I just saw the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. I didn't say name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. That is strictly baloney put up by the Catholic Church. Right. That's absolutely true. Yes. Uh, another question about Bible studies, if you don't mind. You've taught a lot of Bible studies. So I'm kind of picking your brain here about them. Uh, what is your approach? Let's just say you talk to somebody at the supermarket and you get them to agree to a Bible study. You sit down, first lesson. What's your approach? Well, I've already approached them if I got the Bible study. Sure. And my general approach when people are talking is to, first of all, uh, without attacking their doctrine, uh, kick one of their pillars out. And I use the parable of the sword and the seed because at least 90% of humanity believes was they have been taught and that they believe or heard that Jesus spoke in parables to make it easier to understand. And we just read where it said, uh, I that they can see they won't and hear and they won't understand, etc. He said, less any time, that, that shocks them. You know, less any time they should be converted. When they see that in Luke, they're, they're lost. They're, they're confused then. Mm-hmm. Because all their little structures that they're saying, Jesus knows and Jesus loves me as I am, have just gone out the window. You have now just blown all their foundations out nicely by making them read and explain that to you. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's how I bait, forgive the word, or encourage people to get into a Bible study because it makes them think, man, I, I guess I don't know what I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is if you read a book, it's, they have what they call white spacing. Are you familiar with that term? I've heard of it. White spacing is the margins, the paragraph separations, and it's, it's designed to draw your focal point to the text. Okay? But unfortunately... When you're looking at the Bible, what I call white spaces, things like what we just read about that parable that people never see, they read the first two and the third one doesn't fit. The third rendition, they've never seen it. Yeah. You know, so they read into, they look at pictures, they, they see a voice speaking from this is my son who I'm well pleased. One, two, three. You know, but did it say three? No. The pictures look like it, but they don't read what it says in the chapter. You know, that, that, that dove descending was for John to be a sign. Mm-hmm. It was for John. And people are taking John's sign and calling it their mail. You missed it. That's not for you. Yeah. That was for John. Yes. That's good stuff. Excellent. Uh, let me also ask you about getting a Bible study. What would you feel would be a good piece of advice for somebody that maybe listening to this and would want to get a Bible study? What's... Maybe something you would use to get a Bible study. Well, I use the one about the parable. That's one way I do it. And then when you kind of got into a place where they're, you know, kind of thinking, and then you have to, it's just, it's tricky, but forgive me, but I'll ask them, well, which day is better for you? Would Monday or Friday be better? Or perhaps Wednesday? You know, give me an hour, and I'll tell you what, by the time we're done, you're going to want more. Mm-hmm. You know? And 
I guess I've had more fun uh, with Bible studies, okay? Uh, I can say it in preaching to 500. You know, there's nothing more powerful. If you, if you want to have a good life in God, when you can feed somebody thirsty, you, you can't think of a better rush, if I can use that horrible word, or a more exuberance in your heart than seeing somebody with the lights going on. Yes, that is the truth. That is the truth, absolutely. Testify to that. Uh, Now, you mentioned something a minute ago about knocking one of the pillars out before you get to the actual doctrine that uh, you want to go after. And if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think the tendency is, especially you mentioned the one-hour Bible studies that are popular nowadays. They call them shotgun Bible studies that people want to use to... to they think in 30 minutes you're going to convince somebody to get baptized in Jesus' name. That's get the a Holy Russian Ghost. roulette Bible study. Yes. Okay. You cannot ram the doctrine down their throat. But you, like I said, <clears throat> you build a relationship. The first thing you got to establish in a Bible study is the Word is the Word is the Word. If you come to my congregation, and, uh, well, it used to be my congregation, if I say the Word is, they finish with it. Because I put it into their heads from day one, day two, day three, day four. And I, because if this Word is not true, none of this is true. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think there's a heaven, this Word's got to be true. If you don't think this Word is true, there can be no heaven. Mm-hmm. You can't slice and dice this. You can't say, just believe on his name and get away with it. What about the rest of it, okay? They they use a misappropriated scripture, Romans 10 and 9. You know, that's another place I like to go. If they really want to jump into it, I'll say, well, let's just talk about the Word of God then. Paul said, verse 1, chapter 10, My heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. Quote, we're talking about Israel, not Gentiles. Yes. Paul was up, well, going to the Gentiles. He wanted to speak to some Jews, but he was sent to the Gentiles, and here he is talking about it. And then he says to him, that, you know, call on the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. Oh, man, that's all we got to do. I'm sorry. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and see where Peter was talking about calling on the name of the Lord and explained it to him. And when it got down to the point where they were convicted because he got to their sin, they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent. Yes and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. He told them how to call on the name of the Lord. So go back to Romans 10. He was talking to the Jews who had denied him as Messiah. And read the chapters on both sides, and you'll find out they were taken out of the vine because of that. Until they confess him as being Almighty God, they can't be saved. Hmm. How important is the revelation? How important is that? Yes. Can you talk about uh, maybe the concept of when you know they're ready for you to go after that particular doctrine? Let's just say if they're Catholic, okay, and you've sat down with them, you've taught them Bible studies, and they're starting to open up a little bit. When do you think is the point where you say, there's a sign, they're ready for me to give them the whole shebang? I use exploring God's Word as more innocuous, shall we say, and not quite as obnoxious if you use it properly. But I tell them we've got this chart, and the chart so they don't have to look at my ugly face. they got something they can look at. <laughs> and I actually just already reads it, but if you follow that manual, you'll never have a Bible study. Mm-hmm. You've got to go with the flow. 
When do you uh, go to that point? When they ask the questions. When you, if you force it, you split it. So, I, I focus on the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. The Word is true. You know, he opened their mind to the Scripture. The Apostles didn't get it either, folks. You know? Good point. And uh, Luke 24, he opened their mind to it. And then in one chapter, it says, it's almost like he says, you mean you finally see it? Like, even Jesus is amazed. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, that's where revelation comes in. When it's open to your eyes. Okay? And I can't predict when somebody gets one. But I know when they do. And I've seen them, honestly, become angry. And beat on their chairs. Why don't they tell us this? Hmm. Guess what? Not one in the church either. Hmm. You know? Because they... They want to live a carnal life, and perhaps uh, what they've heard and found out is such a lie they don't trust anybody anymore. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the getting into the doctrine, if you follow that particular one, if you build yourself through Genesis, you're building the validity of the Word of God. You bring things in. You, you're not going to find uh, he was crucified from the foundation of the Word. You've got to know that and bring it into Genesis. Mm-hmm. And it shows how this thing's all been laid out. And you start putting the confidence in the Word of God. And I'm telling you right now, folks, there's things in the Word of God you're not going to like. Mm-hmm. But it's there. It's true or it's not true. If it's not true, let's stop now. If there's a heaven, there's a hell. Yes. If there's a hell, there's a way to be saved. Mm-hmm. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, even in the apostolic church, it's not one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Mm-hmm. We got one Lord, we got one baptism, and they can't even explain that. Hmm. What do you mean? It's called the baptism of repentance. Now what? They're baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's two. Now they're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, that's three. But it's one because they're baptized into Christ at that point. Mm-hmm. It's one. That always comes back to one. That's good. That's good. Uh, can you talk about uh, what? This is something I find that is uh, difficult for people to grasp. That uh, a love for we're going back to the love for people is so necessary in teaching Bible studies because it won't be effective uh, without that love for people. Because people will be able to pick up on whether or not your love for them is genuine. And because this is what I found. And I'm just kind of using this as a starting point, maybe for the discussion. But I found a lot of people will teach Bible studies, but only out of obligation. That's pretty sad. I teach them for the thrill. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've had Bible studies closed down immediately. If you can't accept failure, you can't accept success. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. Yes. Um, a baseball player can bat. 275, which to me is lousy, and earn millions. Mm-hmm. They're not batting a thousand. Well, why do you think you should? Mm-hmm. I mean, when Jesus got done, so he used my blood and you know, drink my blood and eat my flesh, 120 were left. What about the crowd that walked off that they were there for loaves and fishes? Folks, there's a place in time where I don't know if I can eat that. But your job is to plant the seed. Shine a light. And you know something? Wait for the, when you hit the gold mine. It's, it's like panning for gold. You know? You wash a whole lot of sand out before you find a nugget. Mm-hmm. You know? And the sand outweighs the nugget many times. 
I found if you can get a Bible study to go long enough, your success rate climbs with it. And then you can also in a Bible study, and I have them, I have one now, that you're really replacing their video rental. You're just good entertainment. But do you quit because you're wasting your time? When God's name do you think you are to give up? God ain't given up on you yet. Mm -hmm. And so you go till they say, I've had enough. Hmm. And, and I'll keep going, going to find if I run out of Bible study pages. What would you like to talk about? Give me an idea. Mm -hmm. and, and run that way with it. It's good stuff. Well, that's good stuff. It's excellent. Okay, uh, it's, it might be a bit of a shift, but I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Uh, now, if you don't mind, can we talk about maybe your greatest concerns for the up-and-coming generation? What would that be? You need to hold some regard and esteem for those who have beaten the path down in front of you. Uh, not looking for somebody to pat me on the back. I was pretty rough on my pastors, and they didn't hold true. And I've spoken of it, and in some cases that probably doesn't have a good effect. But if a young man doesn't want to esteem an elder or take time and accept advice, or at least listen, um, the day's going to come when his ministry won't be esteemed by anybody. And they need to learn the voice of God and not be afraid of a sacrifice. You know, um, some can take a church, there's a sacrifice there. And there's a lot more out there that can build a church. I'm afraid too many are circling their wagons looking for a church. And to build a church, in my estimation, since what I've done, is simpler. And you're not having to reinvent the wheel and take care of all the collateral damage. Mm -hmm. You're starting with fresh material, fresh clay. And uh, I guess I think we need more young men out there to really want to dig out a church. We're, we're bereft of churches in this country. Mm -hmm. we, we put more effort into, forgive me, this is not negative, we'll put more money in, in foreign missions than we do at home. I was UPC was at least a hundred times more, just in our district. You know, I guess there ain't no sense in feeding the competition in their minds. But now we're dealing with ethics. Mm -hmm. Young men need to hear the voice of God, not their own voice. The voice of God is very difficult to discern for some, but I can put it to you practically. One. When you hear the voice of God, who gets the honor? Two, who gets the value? Three, and who gets the respect? If you're one of those three, it's not the voice of God. Mm. Well, that's good. That's good. I mean, you slip in and you slip out. That's all there is to it. Um, many kudos you're getting when you're, you pastor and whatever, and that's all wonderful. Uh, a lot of times I'm just pretty much embarrassed by it. Isn't there are two sides of that coin, though? You get a lot of kudos as a pastor, but then you also get a lot of criticism. Yep. <laughs> the 
many times the criticism is more true than the kudos. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll know your friends, you're known by your enemies, I believe the scripture says. Um, I got a lot of those. I must be pretty well known. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, can you talk about, let's say, a man's going to go into a city to start a church. Day one. What would that process look like? <laughs> For God called or normal? God called. Uh, normal looks at demographic. <laughs> you know? yes. Normal looks at the number of churches around. Yeah. God called sends you someplace that you heard the voice of God. God didn't give me a city. Well, why not? Do I say it has to be that way? No. God can or works to understand that, but when a man receives a calling from God, and it's got to come from other men, when the fire comes, he'll doubt the calling of God. And so, just like the prophet, went back to a caveman. It wasn't in... And the, the thunder and the wind and all these other things are the fire. Still small voice. A still small voice will drive through you like no other lance there is because it's not deniable when you really hear that voice. And you've got to hear the voice. When you've heard that voice, you're convinced of that voice and you trust God. There is no thunder. There's no rain. There's no earthquake or fire that can stop you. You'll go through... God's going to honor it. But here's the problem. Success is based on what? What's it based on? Uh, numbers. Numbers. That's what I was fixing to say. Yeah, numbers. Sad. Yeah. Is that right? Mm. Then if a man has 300 and I have 60, I failed. Mm. You know? I'm in a town. I hope it finally breaks open. I'm praying it does with my son. But we haven't got the first law of this city yet. 32 years later. They've come from Cincinnati. They've come from areas of Dayton. They've come from Michigan. They've come from Cleveland. I had to go all those places to do a Bible study. Take that through Bible study question. I, there was probably a nine-month or more period of time I drove 3,000 miles a week for three Bible studies. Wow. Incredible. And I didn't care. And it was Bible studies I did and tried to plan some. There's one in Tennessee I'm going to go do. They opened that door. I'm going down there. I baptized the woman. She received the Holy Ghost. And she's been nothing but a loose goose, no strength. Her husband doesn't want the Holy Ghost because of it. I'll go down and find a church. I'll go down there and I'll Bible study them. I don't need remunerance or remuneration. I did it when I was a pastor. I didn't take anything for 11 years. It was about souls. Hmm. So, I guess, you know, you if you're not about loving people and loving souls, get out. Mm-hmm. You're not a pastor. You're not an evangelist. You're not called. Mm-hmm. It goes back to loving people, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I hate to use the word that's so popular as a passion. I hate that word. Yeah. It's a drive. Drive, yeah. I'd give a Bible study to a stump if it would come to life. Hmm. That's good. You probably come pretty close to that, haven't you? I work with a few stumps. Can I ask you this? If uh, you had just a few minutes to spend with an entire generation of young preachers, what would you tell them? 
Here is where the Lord thy God is one Lord, and loveth all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. The second one is like it, namely this, love your neighbor as yourself. Apostolics are great on the first one. They really, they're so pretty sorry on number two. Mm-hmm. Number one's not worth nothing without number two. He said all the law and prophets hang on those two. That's what the Bible says. So, if everything hangs on that, all the law and the prophets, how important is it? And, just like written about faith, you know, have charity and then love your brother. Why do you have to specify too? Shouldn't love cover it all? Well, God knew that we had more problems with our brothers. He said, be brother against brother. Is that talking about natural blood? Maybe. I think it's spiritual brothers. 